You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Let's join together in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, I am so touched by seeing the children sing, hearing the moms behind them. And Lord, what a picture a true picture of life that that is, that you give us moms and dads and they stand behind us. They're always there for us. They look over us. They watch over us. And the things that they do, the words that they say, are there to be for our good, just as you. And Father, we pray that today we would hear your word of what you as our Heavenly Father say to us about what really is important about being your church, about being your people, about being alive and filled with the power that Christ gives to us. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you that we're here today. We thank you that we could gather and hear even one announcement. Lord, we pray for our sisters, and we thank you for their fellowship, and we pray that next Sunday they would have an amazing time of sharing, of joy, of laughter, of food, but also of being able to envision what the women's ministry might be for the future. We pray that you would strengthen the women's ministry. We pray that you would give leadership to it. We pray that there be women who want to be leaders in the midst of what's happening with our ladies and how we can encourage one another and exhort one another to love and to good deeds. So, Lord, we thank you. We pray for your word now. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would come and anoint us and teach us so that your holy word would have power and your truth would, in, would go into our lives to help us to live the kind of lives you, you made us to live and to help us, Lord, to know Jesus and his love and to want to be more and more like him all the time. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for our moms. Thank you that we're together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So two weeks ago, if you were here, um, I shared that uh, we were talking about the mystery of Jesus. And that I said that a mystery in the Bible is actually not something that's hidden. It's something that is revealed. But when we know that there's a mystery, we look forward to finding out what it is, like a secret. And so we look forward to finding out what a secret is, especially if it's a good secret. And so two weeks ago, I shared with you that I had a good secret. And today I get to unveil it. I get to reveal it to you. And some of you already know, okay? But the secret is this. Uh, that my oldest son, Gabriel, proposed last Sunday. And uh, he proposed at Disneyland. And um, this is him kneeling right underneath Cinderella's castle. What are, I mean, like, where else would you propose, right? Looking there into fantasy land. Um, and so that's Gabriel. And this is his uh, fiancée, Jessie. And so she said yes. And so that's a ring there on her finger. And um, so this was the secret. This was the secret. Uh, that I had to share with you. And then last Monday, Carol and I and uh, my daughter Angela went with Gabriel, and we spent some time with him at Disneyland on Monday and Tuesday. And if you've ever been to Disneyland, you know that it's called, the, what is it called? The happiest place on earth, right? And so when you go there and you see the workers there, what are the workers called? They're not called workers. They are called what? Cast members. Everyone 
who works at Disneyland is called a cast member. And you think about that. Well, where do cast members work? Well, they work in plays, right? They, they're part of the theater. And so what Disney saw Disneyland as was a living theater where cast members came to entertain those who come, the guests. And what they do is they're very, very nice. And so when you talk to the cast members, they, they want you to have a great day. They want you to be happy. And so they do the, the best of their ability with a smile, the things that you need. And I'm sure it's very hard. But this is something that they're paid to do, right? They're paid to be nice. Anybody here paid to be nice? Only me? Okay. I guess so. All right. So I once heard a pastor say that... Um, he was struggling with the fact that he always had to be nice, that he, he always had to look good. He always had to do the right thing. And so he went to God, and he prayed, and he said, God, I just confess to you that there are times I don't want to be nice. There are times I don't want to be good, right? Um, and, and you, but I have to because I'm a pastor. And God's reply to him was, so would it be okay with you? if I called you to be a pastor so you would do the right thing. And he thought about it, and he said, you know what? That would be okay. It would be okay if God called me to be a pastor just so that I would indeed do the right thing. Well, you know what? That's true for all of us. We're all called by God. We're all called to be his children, and we're not paid. We're not paid to be good. We should be good. That's part of what it means to be in God's family. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We're going to be talking about what it means for us to live the kind of life God wants us to live. Now, in Disneyland, there are at least two reasons that I can think of that the cast members are nice. Number one is that they're paid to be nice. But number two is that it's not natural. So number two is they have to be trained to be nice. They have to be trained to be nice. So they go through a lot of training to know how to deal with the problems people have so they can still smile so you can have a magical day. And that God wants us to know too. We can learn something from Disney. God wants us not to be nice, but we're going to see what it means to be good. And that God wants us to be holy, and we're going to see how God does that in our lives. But not because we're paid, but we are trained. We are trained to be good. And these verses that we're going to read together right now in Ephesians chapter 4 are our training passages. Would you stand with me in honor of God and his word and let us read this passage out loud together. Let's begin. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. Please be seated. So you see there multiple times. You and I, we are all called. We are called to live a life worthy of the Lord. 
This is our training. This is what God calls us to be. God wants us as a church to live out a life that is worthy of the Lord. And so today, Paul's going to give us, or God's going to give us, through Paul, three means by which we learn to live, we are trained to be living the kind of life that pleases God. And the first one is Paul's own life. He was an example. Paul was an example of what it meant to live a worthy life. And so God uses Paul, God uses examples in our life to motivate us. We need to have motivation to want to be worthy. We need to have motivation to live the worthy life. And so the motivation that God gives us is through the example of Paul. What's the example that Paul gives to us? It is that he's a prisoner. He is willing to suffer for something so important as being a Christian who lives a worthy life. He is willing to be an example to the Ephesian church. He's telling them, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I am in prison for your own good. I am in prison for the good of the gospel. This is not a bad thing. I am here because I want to serve my king. To live a worthy life means a life of sacrifice. It means a life of valor. It means a life where we have dreams that are really worth something. That if they don't come true, it's going to cost us something. And if they do come true, it's going to cost us even more. That God wants us to know that there's times where we have to do the right thing because it's going to lead us to the best thing. But it's not always easy. And Paul realizes that. And so in his example, the Bible says that he urges us. He goes, as a prisoner for the Lord, I then I urge you. And some of your translations, instead of urge, it says, I beseech you. I beseech you. And the word means to call somebody to one side. Say, come here. I want to help you. It's an invitation. It's a strong word. It's filled with feeling. It's like, come to me. I want to help you. I want to bless you. I want to give to you. I want to train you. I know it's not easy, but I'm going to be there with you. It's a very strong word, but it's not a demanding word. We cannot make people live a worthy life for Jesus. Um, maybe you know of legalistic Christians or of legalistic churches and, and so they have a lot of laws and say you have to do this and you can't do that. And usually there's a lot of you can't do's. You can't do this. And then the motivation is that if you do do the right things, God will love you. And if you do the wrong things, God won't. And so the motivation is very strong towards law. But Paul isn't that way. Paul is strong towards love. And he wants to motivate us by his own example, saying, I love Jesus so much that I am even willing to suffer. How much am I willing to suffer? I'm willing to suffer for your good. Please open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. This is a marvelous verse, and it helps us to see the love that Paul had for the churches. Paul helped to found the churches in Ephesus and in Galatia. And so he loves these people very much. He loves them because he helped to give birth to the churches there. But not just to physical buildings, but to real people. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. And if you're, having, you're holding your own Bible, this is a great verse to mark or to highlight. And there Paul says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Let me read it one more time. 
My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is a man speaking, not a woman. This is a man who loves his children, his spiritual children. It's the same man who wrote Ephesians with the same passion that he has in Ephesians that he displays here in Galatians, is that he loves these people so much that he's willing to suffer for them like a woman suffers in childbirth. I I was there when, when my wife gave birth to all of our three children, and I saw her pain. I saw and heard her, her screaming. I, I heard and I saw it. And I witnessed that. I, I didn't have any pain. I, you know, it, it was fairly painless to me. But she experienced the pain. The Bible tells us that women do that. Why? For the joy of knowing what's coming. For the joy of having a child. See, Paul is willing in the same way. He's saying that like a woman going through pain in childbirth, I'm going through pain for you. So that you can live a life. I'm willing even to die so that you can have life. Um, After I was born, my mom almost died. And this is why I'm an only child. Um, So after I was born, um, my mom started to hemorrhage. And, um, you know, this was a long time ago. And so technology isn't what it is today. And they didn't screen blood back then for any other diseases. And so uh, my mom received some transfusions of blood to try to help refill her after she was hemorrhaging so much. And uh, at least one of the the pints of blood had hepatitis B in it. And so my mom contracted hepatitis B, and it led to a number of other illnesses. Um, And she had a number of other challenges when she was younger and after I was born. And she almost died. And she was in surgery, and the doctor had to perform emergency surgery and saved her life. But then after I was born, the doctor told my parents it would be best if you didn't have any more children because it's too much of a risk for Bernice. So literally, my mom would have died to give me life. And praise God, that didn't happen. And that God saved her, but she was willing. I'm certain she would have been willing to die for me so that I could have life. And that's what Paul is saying here. He loves them so much that he's willing to suffer for them. And now he wants them to live a life that is worthy of God. He wants them to live a life that is worthy of their calling. And this word worthy is the word that we get axiom from. It means the balance of the scales. And so in the first three chapters of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, Paul was talking a lot about doctrine, about practice, about the what I'm sorry, about our position in Jesus, of how we stand before Christ, of what Christ has done for us, what it means to be his child, what it means to be part of God's family, all that Jesus went through for our good. That was in the first three chapters of Ephesians. But in the last three chapters, this balance, this axiom, is that there's also a way that we are now to live this life. That's the worthy life. The worthy life is how we live because of what God has done for us. How we live because God has called us. And as I said before, God's called every one of us, not just me. He's called us. This is our training. He's called us by this example of Paul. He's called us by the example of other Christians so that we would live out our calling. Would you read this verse with me? This is our heavenly calling in Hebrews chapter 3. Let's say it together. Therefore, holy brothers, 
who share in the heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. So you and I, if you're a believer, we have a heavenly calling. And that heavenly calling is we should be looking at Jesus to know more about him. How do we do that? Well, we do it one way is by being here. But more importantly, we do it throughout the week by praying, by reading the scriptures, by talking to other people about Jesus, by working together with other people in fellowship and enjoying what it means to be a family of God. We keep our thoughts on Jesus. We live to a heavenly calling, but that's not all. There's also another calling that God's given to us. Let's read together 2 Timothy 1.9. Who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus. So God has called us to what? To a holy life. That means a life that pleases him. That means a life that turns away from sin. That means a life that seeks to do the things that make God proud of us by the way that we live. He loves us. He died for us. And now we live for him. And there's a third calling that we see that God has given to us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. And these are Paul's words. But let's say it together. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. To win the prize. We are being called heavenward to win a prize, to gain our rewards when we get in heaven, to keep our eyes on Jesus so that when we live in this life, we live the best life possible because we have a heavenly calling. This is where we're going to spend all of eternity. And so God has given to us through Paul in these words an example for us to want. When we see somebody living that out, it shows us how we can live. But there's a second thing that Paul has given to us and that God shows us through Paul, and it's through his words, and it is an exhortation. And he exhorts us to be the church that God made us to be. A church is not the building. A church is you and me. It's the people. And he exhorts us how we live out a worthy life. Let's read together um, these verses. These are, these are verses 2 and 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, this is the way you and I continue to live a worthy life among each other. Paul is talking here about the unity of the church, but he's also going to later talk about the unity of a family. And so the two really are one is that the way we treat our family is the way we should treat our church. The way we wanted to be treated as a family is the way we ought to treat other people in the church. And so this is what God wants for us. Now, Disneyland is known as what we said, the happiest place on earth. Now, church is not the happiest place on earth. Okay? Church is not, and it's not even supposed to be necessarily the happiest place on earth. But there are five things here that we see in this passage that we are to be. The church should be the most humble place on earth. The church should be the most humble place on earth. Would you read out loud with me Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8? Say it together. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death 
on a cross. God has made us to be a humble people. And even Jesus had to be humble. Let me say that again. Even Jesus had to be humble. Even before Jesus could serve on earth, he had to be humble. He had to get off of his throne in heaven and come to earth and take on the garb of a servant. He was humble. And he is an example to us. And Paul's exhorting us to live a humble life. That means to think less of ourselves? No. It doesn't mean to think less of ourselves. It means to think more of other people. It is a lowliness of mind that we don't judge other people as less than ourselves, but we treat them as if they are better than ourselves. In our humility, we are modest. We don't show off. We are willing to be like Jesus and to get off any chair of privilege to serve somebody else. And I I so applaud those of you who do that week in, week out. Those of you who served on the homeless ministry and the way that you served and you cared in the winter shelter so that people could know the love of Jesus and not just to have a place to stay, but to be loved and to be known and to be cared for. I love the fact that many of you are going to be going to San Telmo at the end of the month and we're going to be praying for you later today and how many of the youth and some of the adults are going to be going to the Youth Summer Mission Project later in July. And we're going to continue to have opportunities to serve our community in the coming year, to serve missions in other places in the world, to serve each other. VBS is coming up. This is a way for you to serve your church and to serve each other and to be humbly minded, to give to others as if they are better than you and to love them and to care for them because they are worthy of your love. They are worthy of God's love. And we live a worthy life in such a manner. And Jesus wasn't just humble. Jesus was also gentle. And the word gentle could also be translated meek. And meek means mild. But it also means power. And I think when we think of the word meek and we think of mild and we think of gentle, we don't typically think of power. But this word actually means it is an animal like a horse Or like a a steer, it's a strong animal under control. That's what the word means. We are mild, we have strength, but that strength is under control. And just like a horse is under control of its master, we have strength as we are under control of our master. When our master acts a certain way, we act a certain way. When Jesus says, I am mild, I am meek, I am humble, we follow his example. There's many ways that Jesus displayed his meekness. But one of them that Peter tells us about is in um, oops, pushing the buttons there. Is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. And there it says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. How do you usually respond when somebody insults you? How do you usually respond when someone cuts you off on the road? How do you usually respond when somebody says something that's insulting to you or judgmental of you? How do you respond when somebody's rude to you? And when I think of all those answers, um, my my all those questions, my answers aren't very good. I usually get really mad and want to do something back. I may not do it. Why? Because I'm a pastor and I'm paid to be good. But that's to be true for all of us, right? We're all called. 
So if we're honest with ourselves, it is that response that we have when people aren't nice to us that tests, really, how gentle we are. It tests, really, how meek we are. And Jesus was meek. This says so much so that when they hurled, and this is speaking to about when he was going to be crucified, they hurled insults at him, but he didn't retaliate. He suffered, but he made no threats. Why? Because he trusted his heavenly father. And this is what God calls us to do, to be under the control of our heavenly father, to trust him in all circumstances, and to learn to have an attitude so that we can live a worthy life like Jesus, of being gentle and of being meek. The third quality that we have is to be patient that God wants us to be patient. God is patient with us. He is patient with us as Christians. You know, have you ever thought to yourself, man, you know, I don't want to sin, and I keep doing the same sin. God must be so mad at me. I keep confessing to God the same sin. I know I shouldn't do it, but I do it anyway. Well, God is patient with you as a believer. God is patient with you. The Bible tells us there in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant, and patient God is with you. And that's speaking to believers, how patient he is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? See, God's kindness has a purpose, and that is to live a worthy life, to turn away from our sin. God is patient with us. He is working with us so that we can live this holy life that he calls us to live. But God is not just patient with his children and with his family. He's patient with those who aren't yet part of his family. He's patient with the whole world. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient with the world. And so even though we see all of this evil around us, God is being patient. He is seeking to draw people to himself. We get to be part of that as we share the gospel with other people. To let them know that there is hope in this world. That there is a quality of life that they can have. That there is a savior who forgives. And God is being patient with the whole world because he wants them to come to know Jesus. Who is humble and who is gentle and who is loving. And this is the fourth quality that we see here that a worthy life is to have. It is a forbearing love. It says that we are to be bearing with one another in love. And this means to be bearing is in such a manner that we are learning to actually put up with the other person. We're learning to endure the pains that the other person gives to us. This is hard if we truly are going to be a family. As a family, we are going to have difficult times, but we have to remember the promises that we made to each other. When Gabriel proposed to Jesse, he did it right underneath uh, the castle. And underneath the castle, there's this uh, brass spike right there, right where he proposed. And they, 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 the brass spike is there. Uh, it was actually for those who were measuring the distances, so it was used by the surveyors, but they left it there because it, it helps them to have a straight line from the castle all the way down Main Street. And there's another spike at the beginning of Main Street. But Gabriel proposed right at where there's that spike there. So I, I told him, I said, Gabriel, whenever you and Jesse have a, like a really bad fight, go to Disneyland and go back to that spot where you proposed. 
and remember how you felt the day you proposed. Remember the promises that you made to Jesse on that day when you asked her to be your wife. Remember the words you said to her at that moment when you asked her to live with you and to be with you for all of your days. Remember the promises that you made. Remember there. I said, it's wonderful that you know exactly where you proposed because you can go back there and every time it will remind you of the promises you made because marriage isn't easy. And there's going to be difficult times. Carol and I have had difficult times in marriage. And especially early on in our marriage. And early on in our marriage, we went and saw a marriage counselor. And um, the marriage counselor said to us, you know, there's, there are a lot of problems in marriage. But there's a myth in this world. is that you get married because you're compatible. And then you leave one another because you're incompatible. He goes, but this is really important, Curtis and Carol, for you to know. And that is that everybody is incompatible with everybody. That every husband is incompatible with his wife. Every wife is incompatible with her husband at certain points. And we have to learn to endure. We have to learn to have this forbearing love with each other. We do have love. But it must be a forbearing love. It must be a patient love. It must be a love that puts up with the other person. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And if it covers over a multitude of sins, it certainly covers over a multitude of incompatibilities. And we as a people will find that as we draw closer to each other, there will be tests, there will be challenges. Our love will hurt at certain times. But a worthy life is a forbearing life, a life that forbears and loves each other and continues to love. And then fifthly, we have a love that creates a peace, a peacemaking love. The Bible says there in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. It takes effort to live a worthy life. We're not earning a worthy life. That comes through Christ. But when Christ has done everything for us, and we saw that in chapters 1 through 3, He has done everything for us because He loves us, He died for us, He saved us. Now, Paul is telling us as we begin chapter 4, to live a worthy life. And that includes living a life of peacemaking. He says there that we are to do everything in our power to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are to keep the unity of the Spirit. In other words, we are to be not just peacekeepers, but peacemakers. We need to make peace with each other continually. We need to make peace so that we are what Jesus would say to us, that we are able to live the life that says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters. Of God. God wants us to make peace. That's why reconciliation is so important as we reach out to one another, as we care for each other. That's why it's so important for husbands and wives to truly forgive each other. There has to be reconciliation, there has to be peacemaking. That God wants us to be peacemakers. In Romans, Paul says, Let us therefore make every effort. See again there, every effort to do what leads to peace. 
into mutual edification. It takes effort to be able to bless somebody else, to edify them so that there is peace making happening in our midst. So these are the five exhortations that Paul gives to us so that we can live a worthy life. And he does these. So he's an example and he's an exhorter so that we can experience the third blessing and the third reason to live a worthy life. And that is so that we can encounter God. So that we can encounter the one true God. Would you read with me verses 4 and 5? Let's say it out loud together. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's seven qualities there that we see. Three of them are about the Trinity. There's one Spirit, there's one Lord, and there's one Father. There's one Trinity. And then we see the other four qualities that are part of his family, that we are one body, we have one hope, we have one faith, we have one baptism. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There's one God. There's one true God. And God would have us to encounter him deep in our spirits. God would have us to have an experience with God every day, even if it's in a time of difficulty. God allows us to go through difficult times so that we might reach out to him and hold on to him. God allows us to go through times that are difficult so that we can experience the unity that comes in caring for each other. That we go to our Father in heaven when we need his help. We need his wisdom. We go to the Holy Spirit when we need his power. We need the gifts of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and all of the other six. That God wants us to be able to go to Jesus when we feel that need again for forgiveness. To know that even though I've sinned, God forgives me. He has taken care of all of my sin. And he loves me with an everlasting love. He got up his throne for that very purpose. To come down and to be our savior. So that we could be one body. There is nothing that makes mom and dad happier. Than when their children get along. And there's nothing that can make mom and dad sadder. Than when their children fight. And God has called us to be one body. So that we might not just get along, but that we might love each other. And the body is the body of Christ. And he is the head and we are the parts. And we each have a unique function to make. We each have a unique contribution to give. There is something you can give to this church nobody else can give. There's something you can do in this world that nobody else can do. And God calls us into this worthy life to go into our neighborhoods, to go into our families, to go into our jobs, to go into our schools so that we can bring that influence of the body of Christ, of you with your unique gifts and your unique strengths to be able to bless other people so that we can do this work together to give glory to God. And when we do this, we remember we do it because we're living towards a heavenly calling and that is our one hope. The Bible says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that someday we get to be in the presence of Jesus. 
We get to be in the presence of God. We get to see Him. We get to walk with Him. We get to hear His voice. We get to enjoy His fellowship. This is our hope. This is our desire. This is what we want more than anything else is to be with our Lord, to be with our God, to be so enveloped by the Holy Spirit. And then it says that we have but one faith. And that is the faith that we're talking about here. It encompasses all of the Bible. It encompasses all of the faith that God has for us to embrace so that we can live the life that is worthy of Him. The faith that allows us to know God and to trust Him even when we can't see Him. That's why we need faith. And then there is the one baptism. And I believe that is the physical baptism that Jesus talked about when he gave the Great Commission. That we would go out into the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that when we express our baptism, we express our faith. When we are baptized, we get very wet. My pastor um, in San Diego used to ask this question at the baptism class. And he used to say, what happens if you baptize a sinner? Now, what he was saying was, what happens if you baptize a person who hasn't repented yet, a person who hasn't truly have Jesus in their heart yet? That's what he meant by sinner. So, so what do you have if you baptize a sinner? And his answer was, you have a wet sinner. And that's it. Because it's only on the outside that the baptism happened. So what God is talking to us about here is that when we got physically baptized, it was because there was something that had already happened on the inside. And that the Christian life is about what happens on the inside. This is where we encounter God. So many times we want to encounter God on the outside. And so we pray, God, answer my prayer. Do this for me. Take away my pain. Give me this. Don't do that. Do do this. Those are things we want on the outside. What do you think our church needs more than anything else? What do you think our church needs more than anything else? Just think about that. I want you to have a real answer for that, okay? What do you think our church needs more than anything else? Now, raise your hand if you have an answer. Just you thought of something. That mean you're, I'm not going to call on you, okay, so don't worry about that. So raise your hand. I want to, what do you think our church needs? Okay, everybody raise your hand after you think about it. Think, come think, you, you can think anything you want, okay? You can think like it needs a new pastor. Uh, you can just think whatever you want, all right? Just, just think something, okay? So raise your hand. Okay, you, you got it, all right? You thought, okay, thank you. You can put your hands down. Now, this is my answer. What my church needs is me. I wonder, did any of you think of that? Did any of you think in your head, you know what my church needs? Needs me. Remember how we ended last week's sermon? What's the glory of God? The glory of a God, the glory of God is a man or woman fully alive. And what our church needs is not more programs. Polly doesn't even need a greater set of, of preaching, teaching, although that's important. Polly doesn't need a lot more fellowship groups, although those are important too. 
God's people. And it begins with you and with me. And this is what we need. This is the answer. And so as we close, I'd like you just to think about that. Your church needs you. It needs you. This church needs you. Can't live without you. That's the worthy life. Let's pray.